Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. Well, I got to tell you, um, the message today, parts of it in just a few moments are going to be a little PG-13 going to get a little spicy today. So I'm just saying that. So those of you that have your kids sitting with you today, you have an opportunity now to take them, get them checked in to Victory Kids where they will learn Jesus on their level. Okay, so I'm just giving you that ahead of time right now. We've been talking um, these last several weeks about this whole idea of Jesus over everything. Today, the word of the Lord is Jesus over my relationships. Jesus over my relationships. We've been um, talking about this whole idea of how we actually put Jesus over everything in our lives. And I believe for us, it should be more than just a slogan. It should be more than a a sermon series or some nice messages. It's Jesus over everything is a way that we live. It's, It's how we operate. It's our decisions that we make, that he's over our decisions, that he's over our feelings. So we don't have to live life on a yo-yo, you know, up and down, up and down. It's Jesus over everything in our thinking and our acting and in our plans and in our stuff and in our relationships. It's Jesus over everything. I just believe that when Jesus is the main thing, everything else begins to make sense. Yeah, when Jesus is the main thing, everything else begins to make sense. So I hope you've been encouraged by these messages. I hope you've been built up in your faith. I hope the Holy Spirit's been getting inside and just messing stuff up and getting y'all like turned around and getting them focused on him and getting them and getting yourself pointed to him and leaving some stuff behind. Like, I hope it's been doing that. And if you've missed any of the weeks, uh, the audio is available, the video is available. You can get our audio podcast or subscribe on our YouTube channel. There's a link for both on our website, victoryorlando.com. But if you've got your Bibles, you can turn today to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I'm going to be reading uh, today from the the Passion Translation. Uh, We started off this whole series a couple weeks ago with, with this passage of where Jesus is talking and teaching some people about how we actually do this. So if it's, if it's a way that we need to live and how we need to operate, then how do we actually get Jesus over everything in our lives? I think that's an important part of, of understanding the Bible is then, okay, that's nice and encouraging, but then how? How do I do that um, in my life? So Jesus in this passage in Luke 9 is, is kind of giving us this whole idea. In verse 23, Jesus said to all of his followers, if you truly desire to be my disciple. So notice right off, he's, he's talking to two groups of people. He's talking to followers, and he's saying, if you want to become my disciple. So evidently, there's a difference between a follower and a disciple, right? A follower is an observer. A follower is someone who kind of skirts around it, someone who knows some things, has some knowledge, has experienced some things, has been around some things, knows when to lift their hands, knows all the hill songs, and knows some stuff, has some scripture memorized, and when you say something, try to talk to them, you always get some kind of spiritual response that you're kind of like, what does that mean? I asked you what you wanted to eat, you know, and he's like, A follower is kind of this person on the outside, but what happens with a follower is they miss the most important part, and that's in how to then apply the thing they've heard and experienced and learned to their life. There's an application that needs to take place, and a follower just kind of skirts around all that, hoping to keep things covered up to maintain their status quo. 
A disciple, on the other hand, is the one that then applies what they've heard, learned, and experienced to their life, and there's change that then happens. It's evidence. It's the difference between a follower and a disciple. The good news is, is Jesus is inviting us into being a disciple. So maybe you're like, yeah, I've been a follower. Like, that's me. Like, you don't have to feel bad about it. That's the invitation. Jesus is saying, hey, if that's where you are, cool. If you want to be my disciple, let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not leaving anybody out. So he says, if you truly want to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely, embrace my cross as your own, and surrender to my ways. Imagine the silence as he would have said this, right? Embrace, embrace my cross, like disown myself. Like, what are you talking about? So he goes on, he unpacks this statement so that we can gain a hold of the understanding. He said, for if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will embark on a discovery of more and more of true life. So this is a principle of the kingdom of heaven. This is, he's giving us a principle of how the kingdom of God is, works in our lives, right? So for us, as people who believe in Jesus, there are principles, there are laws and, and motion in the kingdom of heaven, right? And if we want to operate successfully as believers in the kingdom, then we need to get in line with the principles. Because the principles, the laws are in motion all the time. It's like gravity. Gravity on this earth is a principle, it's a law, it's always working right? We can't get away from it. Some of us wish we could get away from gravity a little bit more, but we can't, right? It's the same thing. There's principles, there's laws that God put into place in his kingdom that operate regardless of whether we are in agreement or in alignment with them or not. And if we are not, then we won't reap the benefit. We will deal with the consequence. So we've got to get in line with the laws of the kingdom. It's much like traveling to a foreign country. Has anybody been out of the States before? I would encourage you, get a passport. Let's go on missions, baby. Let's go to another country. Let's witness to some people who don't know our language. And then you'll come home and you'll be so, you'll be, God bless America. Thank you for the land that I love. It's the greatest nation in all the world, even with all of our issues. Okay. But when you go to a foreign country, the interesting thing is, is when you get up to the border and the customs agents, they do not ask you what you think about their laws. They just expect you to abide by them, right? Uh, just a little over a year ago, I went to Beijing, China. Uh, we landed in the air, you know, on the airfield, come up to the terminal, get out, and I start walking to customs. And, you know, you can't walk anywhere you want to go. There's a very limited space that they allow you to walk in. You have to go exactly where they tell you. And um, they've got these little, uh, well, not all of them are little, but they've got these uh, military guards there with machine guns and stuff all down the hallway as you're walking to customs. They're like, we're watching you, white boy. You know, I'm like, okay, I just, it's just a backpack. It's all good. It's good. But then you get up, you get up and you're waiting in line, you're waiting for the customs agent, you come up there, you hand them your passport, and you know, they're talking to you and, and, and asking you some questions. But the questions, that they never ask you, like, do you want to abide by your American laws in our country? Do you want to change any of our laws? No, they don't even ask if you like them. They just expect that when you're in their country, you're going to abide by their laws and obey their things, or else you will pay the consequences. Thankfully, I abided by the laws while I was in that country. That's why I'm back here with you today. <laughs> right? But it's just so true. If you don't abide by the laws of a country that you're in, you will pay the price. 
But if you do, then you can enjoy the country that you're in. It's the same with the kingdom of God. If we want to be successful and enjoy the life that God has for us, then we need to get in line with the plans, the, the, the principles that God has put into motion in his kingdom, right? This is, and so Jesus is explaining one of these principles to us that is at work. It's a spiritual law that is at work. It's that when we give of ourselves, when we choose self-sacrifice to glorify God, then we begin to experience all that God has for us. It's a spiritual law. So he says, when you choose self-sacrifice, when you die to self to glorify God, Notify, you've got, to, you've got to have that part in there about to glorify God. Because some people go around with this false humility to glorify themselves. That's different, right? So it's not like I'm choosing self-sacrifice so that everyone knows how spiritual I am. So that everyone, didn't Jesus talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And you go around with your prayers and all big so that everyone can see. And surely you've received your reward. Because that, that's not what God is interested in. This is, he's, he's explaining this principle to us. Man, so important we grab a hold of this, that, man, when we choose self-sacrifice to bring God glory, to glorify God, to, to magnify Him, to let everyone know how great He is, right? Man, then we begin to discover and experience all that God has for us. And listen, when we choose that way of living, a self-sacrifice, taking up our cross, it's never that we would be diminished, that we would be in lack, that we would be down and out, that we'd be missing out. Why? Because that wouldn't glorify God. That would just show everybody, well, he must not be good enough to help his people be better. Or to have what they need. No, no. God is a God of abundance, not a God of lack. He wants us to be the, he wants to be the top and not the tail, right? So anytime we choose that way of living, it seems counterintuitive, but it always produces more of what God has for us and less of what the world wants us to believe in, right? This is what Jesus is telling us. So he goes on, he says, but if you want to keep things for yourself, if you choose to keep your lives for yourself, you'll lose what you try to keep anyways. So he's like, it's a win-win situation for us, for believers, because, man, we choose to give our lives away, and in return, we get more life in return. It's just a win-win situation for us. So we need to grab a hold of this principle for our lives today, because too often what we do is we try to make God fit into our way of living, right? Maybe, you know, we, we, when we first receive Christ, we've been living a certain way. We've been believing certain things, and all of a sudden we receive Christ. Our life starts to get turned around, but then we want God to just fit in with what we're already doing, what we're already thinking, what we're already saying, and it just doesn't work that way. He says, no, when you receive Christ, it's an invitation to surrender our life to his, not the other way around. He gave his life for us, and now in return, we surrender our lives to him. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden, right? Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's surrender. When we say, God, not my will, your will be done. That's Jesus over everything. Of saying, God, I want some things, but not my will. God, your will be done. I want to have relationships be a certain way, but God, I'm putting you over everything. So what would you have in my relationships? God, I have some plans for my life, some good things I can do, but God, what is it you have for me? It's Jesus over everything, right? And when Jesus is over everything, everything falls into place. And it's this place of surrender that God is constantly calling us into. So no matter if you've known the Lord for five minutes or 50 years, he's always calling us to a deeper place of surrender. 
He's just always bringing us to that place of surrender, more and more surrender, because there's more and more of himself that he wants us to get a hold of, right? This is a deeper place of surrender. So Jesus is explaining this principle to us. And then just a few chapters later, in Luke chapter 14, he begins to, ex- to tell a story, a parable, to explain the kingdom of heaven. And it's really, he's explaining this call that God is making to people to this place of surrender, to this place of following where God leads us, to answer the call of God. He's explaining this process and how we as people respond to it. Right? We've been, we talked about the story each and every week of this series, but it's the story of the master of the house who threw a great and elaborate party. And he sent out his, his people to deliver the invitations. They deliver the invitations, and this, and one by one, each person sent back their excuse as to why they couldn't come. And Jesus, he gives us what those three excuses are. The first one is our plans. We have places to go, things to do, people to see. God, I have, I have my career path set out, and I've got some things I want to accomplish in my life, and, and, if it's okay, and I'll just fit you in where I can so that it doesn't mess up my plans, right? It's the excuse of our plans. The other excuse we talked about last week was the excuse of our stuff. God, I've got all this stuff, and now I'm obligated to take care of it. I need to get the beach house so I can have the vacation, so I can have the perfect Instagram life, so I can be as good as everybody else. And we, uh, we make the excuse of prioritizing stuff over answering the call that God is calling to us, right? And the third excuse that Jesus gives us is the excuse of our relationships. So we're going to pick it up today, Luke chapter 14, verse 20. Again, this is the Passion Translation. Another one said, I can't come because I just got married. (laughs) That's a little funny right there. He's like, I I can't come. I just got married. I'm not allowed to come, right? And it's it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad because this is the way culture wants us to see marriage. Right? That it's the old ball and chain. You better not or you're going to get in trouble. You're going to be sleeping on the sofa, right? And it's just... It's just another assault from our spiritual enemy, the devil, on, a, on the godly definition of marriage. He's constantly coming to attack a godly marriage. And this is just another one. And it's, it's, it's evidence that it's not just our culture that was this way because it's in the story. So the, the attacks are always there. That's why we know the devil ain't that clever. He's just deceptive, right? He doesn't have new stuff. He just keeps recycling the old stuff just in different packaging. So we just have to be aware of that, right? This is, this, that's who our spiritual enemy is, right? So he's, he's given us the excuse of our relationship. So I want to talk today, Jesus, over my relationships. Let me hear you say, Jesus, over my relationships. All right, y'all sound good today. Come on, somebody. So relationships, man, they're such a big thing in our world today. They're huge. And so many people go throughout their lives and they're putting relationships over everything else, right? If I don't have this relationship, if they don't like me, then I'm not worth anything. And if I don't have this person, then I just can't be. And if this person breaks up with me, I don't know what I'm going to do, right? Everyone is chasing relationship to find fulfillment, to find that thing, that missing thing inside. People are chasing it down. And it's crazy to see how our culture is redefining what relationships look like. Everything from friendships and online friendships and dating and casual sex relationships and online sexual relationships and all kinds of crazy things, cohabitation and whatever else. It's trying to redefine relationships and it's just, it gets wild sometimes to see everything that is happening. But you know the one thing that has never changed and never will change and that's the Word of God. 
God's word will never change and never go out of style. His word remains. The truth stays the same. So it doesn't matter how much culture shifts. That's why our trust is in him because he's not shifting. He's not changing. So everything else around us might be moved and being shaken, but we're good because we're founded on the rock. We're founded on the truth of God's word. So regardless of what relationship status you find yourself in today, right? I just got to tell you this, regardless of what that status is, God has a clear answer and a clear pathway for how we're meant to live as men and women in relationships, in marriage, in dating, in friendships, and every other kind of relationship. God has a clear path. He has a clear answer to every question, and it's found in his word. I want to look at a few of these things today because I believe that most people... Uh, don't set out to say, you know, they don't start out their day and be like, you know, I just want to have some destructive relationships in my life. I just want to have some friends who are bad influences on me. And, you know, I'm like, no, <laughs> nobody does that. But people end up there every day. I'm like, how did I get here? And how do I get out? Right? So we've just got to realize, like, man, that's why we have the Holy Spirit. Because it's just so easy to slowly end up in that place and not even realizing. So sometimes we, let's, we, we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to correct us. That's why he's there. That's why you have him in with you all the time. He's speaking to you directly what he hears from the Father. And it's that constant checkup, that constant check-in. is constantly putting Jesus over everything. God, what do you have for me in this? God, is this a person you want me to be in relationship with? God, is this the job you want me me to take. God, is this what you have for me? It's that constant checking. Otherwise, we'll slowly drift into this place, and we didn't even realize, and now we're so far from the truth because of everything that has gone on, and we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to check us on some things. It's called conviction. It's different than condemnation. Condemnation comes from our spiritual enemy, and it's meant to make us feel bad. It's meant to point out all the wrong that we did and push us down and push us away from God. And it gets mixed up easily with conviction of the Holy Spirit, but conviction draws us to God, right? It causes us to repent, right? It causes sorrow to take place, and you can have sorrow without repentance. Repentance is a change. It's a turn, right? So when there's sorrow, tears even with no repentance, no change, then it was just, it's not, it's not repentance, right? So conviction bleeds us closer to God. It draws us closer in. I, I might have, I might have been in this place, but now he's pulled me up out of this place. He set my feet on a path. He's restored me. He calls me his son. He calls me his daughter. He puts a new, he, he dresses me in clean robes, right? Like that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It brings us to a place where we can change, so I want to look at this whole idea of Jesus over our relationships. Uh, there's lots of examples of relationships, good and bad. There's lots of books and teachings and all kinds of stuff out there on relationships. I just believe that if we're going to put Jesus over everything, and if we're really going to have Jesus over our relationships, then in whatever we're looking for wisdom on, whatever we're looking to grow, we ought to look to Jesus. We ought to look at his example. How did he live? What did he say about it? So whether it's leadership or whether it's ministry or whether it's family or whether it's relationships, whatever the subject, Jesus is the standard. And if we want to grow, we need to look and see what his example was. Amen. 
All right, I just want to make sure y'all are with me today. So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We're going to start there. There's in this story, we see Jesus hanging with his disciples, and then two of them, James and John, come up to him, and they, they start asking him some questions. They're like, yo, Jesus, I know one day you're going back to heaven. When you're there, save me a seat. Can you save me a seat, bro? Like, can you save one at your left hand and one at your right hand for me and my boy? We want to sit next to you. We want to be close to you in heaven, right? What were they doing? They were asking to be in a place of authority, but when you look at it, they're also asking for proximity to Jesus. They're asking for a place to be put in a place where they're close to him because they wanted to know him. They wanted to have a relationship with him. They didn't want to miss out on something. They didn't want to be on the outside looking in. They wanted to be close to him, and they wanted Jesus to do it for them. Put me in this place. Give me something from this relationship. Make sure that I'm in this place that I want to be in, right? They're looking for something out of that relationship, and Jesus, you know, because he's the wisest person. He knows what's happening. And so he just begins to turn it on the head for them. He begins to turn it around. He teaches them amazing things in this passages. This is one of the places he says, those of you that want to be great have to be the greatest servant, right? And this is what he begins teaching them. But I believe that in this teaching, he's teaching us something about how we're meant to live in relationship with other people, right? And he says this in verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. When Jesus is over my relationships, my main focus in that relationship is to serve the other person. When Jesus is over my relationships, my main focus in any relationship I find myself in is to serve the other person. Jesus has given us the whole purpose of why he came to the earth, and it wasn't to be served, but to serve others. And he's giving this answer in response to their desire to want to be in a closer place with him, to be close with him, to be in relationship with him. And he says, okay, great, but you need to understand in that I'm not looking to be served, I'm looking to serve. You want to be close, but it requires service. It requires being the greatest servant. So I want to talk about this idea of our relationship today and look at three specific types of relationships and how we can grow in these areas. The first relationship I want to look at is friends. Friendship. It's important. We need it. We need each other. You know, there's that song, why can't we be friends? Right? It's good. I would just encourage you. There are people in the room right now who are your best friends and you don't even know it yet. Yeah. We used to, before we even moved to Florida to help start this church, that was one of the things that we would, we would pray and tell each other. Some of our best friends are in Orlando, and we just don't even know it yet. And we would pray for you. And we've been praying for you ever since. And we won't stop. We ain't stop. Right? So I'll just tell you, man, while you're here at church today, getting your coffee, picking up your kids in the lobby, just hang for an extra minute and, and look for somebody you don't know and make a new friend while you're in church today. Because we need each other. We need godly friendships. Right? We all know the scripture that says, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals, right? It's so important for us. So the people that we're around, the influences that we have in our lives are going to direct the course of our lives. We're going to be influenced in our thinking and our believing and our speaking, right? And our acting by the people that we allow close to us in our lives, right? Heather, uh, Heather's uncle, Uncle Rod, used to tell us all the time, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. 
So true. You can use that with your kids. You don't have to give me credit. <laughs> show me your friends. I'll show you your future. So let's just, let's just get real this morning. If all of our friends are gossiping, talking bad about those in leadership, can you believe they, and how did, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If that's where all your time is invested in those that are close to you, it's not going to be long before you come like that. If your friends are those who are angry all the time and outbursts of anger and rage and can't control themselves and lack of self-control, then show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And you'll end up in that place where you're bound up by rage and you're bound up by uh, all, all those feelings of unforgiveness and offense and bitterness. But on the same hand, what if then you begin to, as we're putting Jesus over our relationships, we begin to make some new relationships. And then I get on a team and I start serving other people. And now I'm surrounded by people who are self-giving of themselves and serving others and, and, and being involved. Then the same principle works. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So maybe you haven't been somebody who's chosen a life that, where you've been a disciple, where you haven't been taking up your cross. You've made every relationship all about what you can get and what you can take. Here's the good news. It's never too late. You've never gone too far. God is a restorer of the broken, right? That's his specialty. So in a moment, you can get on the right path again, right? That's how good he is. So, man, that's, that's why we unapologetically and will always provide opportunities and encourage people to serve on a team. Not because I need you to be in a position on a team. That doesn't help anybody. I don't need you on a position on the team to help me. I need you on a position on a team because when we get our lives in a posture of serving others, where my main focus, my main goal, my main desire is to serve someone else, it's going to radically change us from the inside out, and it's going to change things we begin experiencing. So I want you on a team. I want you serving somebody on a regular basis because, man, it's getting me around other people who have the same thing. So you're building relationships with people who are serving others. Now you're getting new friends and you're being built up by them. And now, guess what? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So you've made now friends who are also disciples of Jesus because they're self-sacrificing to glorify God, right? So that you understand what I'm saying. Right? That's, we need to serve. We need to be on a team. So I will always provide those opportunities. And if that offends you, maybe this isn't the right church for you. Because there are churches that don't believe in that, but it's not this one. And that's okay. I love my church too. And I love to serve people. Right? So we've got to get in this mentality of, hey, we are here to serve others. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. So for simplicity's sake, I want to look at in friends, there's really three main areas of friendships. And I believe Jesus really modeled these areas of friendships for us. The first one is just like, like people in general. Like when Jesus would travel around, there was crowds of people who would come up to him. There was followers. There was people who would come hear him teach. There were people who would try to hang out with him. There were haters. There were, you know, religious people, people who wanted to kill him. All kinds of people around Jesus' lives that he knew he had relationship with. He saw the people. There's uh, there people all around. But then he had his 12. Those were the people closest to him, his 12. He traveled with them. He taught them. He ate with them. He invested into them. Those were his people. Those were the guys. They were Jesus' disciples. And when Jesus was gone, they were a reflection of Jesus. They knew him. They were with him, right? So he had his close group of people. We all need that close group of friends. We need close because when they're close, like that's where the influence happens in our lives, right? 
with people that aren't close in our lives, it's, it's a lot easier to keep those at bay and not let that be as big of an influence in our lives. But that close inner circle we have, the 12 people that are close to us, man, it influences our lives so much and not just us. It influences us for those that are married, our spouse, and even down to our kids, right? It influences. So Jesus had the 12, but even in the 12, he had Peter, James, and John. He had the three, and those were his, that was his tight-knit, the closest. He was with in the moments of need and the moments of deepest anguish. In the biggest moments, those three were there. So he had, there's everyone else. There's, he had his close inner circle, and then he had the tight-knit, the three. We all need that. We need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, we need each other. Yeah, we need each other. Like, this is why we believe so strongly in connect groups, right? And why we always uh, encourage people to get involved because when you've got people that are surrounded you, that are full of faith, that are seeking God, that couldn't love you more, couldn't love you less, right? That are for you, that'll be there behind you, get your back, that'll pray for you, that'll help keep us accountable, right? Because if we really want to change, we need some accountability in our lives, right? So we, we need each other for that. We need people that are praying for us, right? Because so often, we have people in our inner circle. It looks like a lot of different things in our inner circle. I don't know what your inner circle looks like, but I know what mine used to look like. Sometimes that inner circle, those voices of influence, are people we've never even met. It's like TV game show hosts or, or daytime talk show hosts or celebrities or the nightly news anchor or you know music stars or whatever. And so many people have allowed those voices to be their influencing voices because with social media and all these things, we have access like never before. And so now all these voices are the ones we look to and turn to and model our lives after and give preference to those voices. People we've never even met. For some people, it's voices from the past. Friendships we used to have, you know, hey, remember when we used to go and do, you know, fill in the blank. Remember the good old days, man, those were the days. Like, no, now, like, our lives are going in a different direction. Voices from the past just wanted to pull us back, but what, what's happened? Well, now, now we put Jesus over everything in our lives, so priorities begin to change. So some of those voices, some of those close-knit friendships have to change, because the, in, the close voices in our lives, those influencing voices, are either going to pull us towards God or they're going to pull us away from God. It's only one of the two. So if that relationship is not pushing you closer to God, guess what? It's pulling you the other way. So there are moments where changes in that inner circle need to be made. It's not easy. I've, I've walked that path. It's not easy. But we're not looking for easy. We're looking to glorify our Heavenly Father, to bring Him glory. We're looking to have Jesus be over everything in our lives. So we're not looking for the easy road, right? So we can, we can do it. And know, like, it's going to produce in our lives either way. Whether we keep that person in our lives, it will produce something in our lives. But if we have the courage and the strength to make some changes in our relationships, that will also produce. But it will produce what God has for us, right? We've got to make some changes in our lives, right? Because... Right? When we start putting Jesus over everything and we're, and we're chasing after him, I don't need 
the voice in my life to just point out all the things I've done before, remind me of my history. I need some people around me who can speak to the gifts of God inside of me, who can speak faith inside of me, who can begin to pull some things inside of me that God has. Like, I need those kind of people in my life because if not, I'm just going to stay where I am and I guess this is good enough. No, God has more. He has people for you to reach. He has more giftings for you to develop. He has more he wants to do through your life, but we've got to be willing to make some changes. All right, I'm preaching about 67% better than y'all are amen in today. Some people go into this world of missionary friending. Um, it's just like missionary dating, except in friendship relationships, right? That's when, uh, you know, somebody says, I'm going to be friends with or date this person who doesn't know God, and they're going to hear about God and see God in me because I'm with them. And then they say, well, Jesus did it. He, he hung out with sinners and in the bars and the clubs all the time, and he did it, so I'm going to do it too. And so, you know, I don't even have to preach at them. They just, they know I go to church, and they know, you know, they know. So that when we're hanging out, you know, you know, whatever at the club, then they know. <laughs> Maybe that's an exaggeration. Nobody in this church today, but... So often I hear this from people about so they can just do it and associate with whoever they want. And it's not going to affect me. Well, you're right in the sense that Jesus did go to those places. He did eat with those people. He loved them. He ate with them. He fed them. He taught them. But he never stayed in that place. He always in that place offered an invitation. Come, follow me. Right? When he was with Zacchaeus, a known sinner, <laughs> a, a man that was hated, right? He said, today salvation has come to this house. When, he, when the woman that was brought in adultery was brought to him, he didn't ignore her. He wasn't rude to her. He didn't, oh, no, he said, hey, your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Every time you'll see him in those places, absolutely, I came for the sick, not for the well, right? I, I came for them, but I, I didn't come just to hang out with them because they're sick so they can stay sick. What sense does that make? No, I came so that they can get well, so that we could bring them out of darkness and into light. It's good. It's good. We're just, so we've just got to realize, like, it's, and it's the same call that he made to the disciples. Hey, leave behind your old way of living and come follow me. And come and follow me. It's good for us, right? So please don't hear what I'm not saying in that. We, we're not mean or rude to people. We love people. We are kind to everyone. We never look down on people or think we are better than, than others because of their beliefs or their choices. We believe the best in everyone. We want to see every person come to know Christ, experience his love, and live out their God-designed purpose for their lives. Right? So we, we can be kind to even those we have disagreements with. Right? So when, even in those separations... We can, we can do that, but in doing that, we just don't have to allow every person to be close in our lives. There has to be a dividing line. If we're really going to put Jesus over everything, we're going to put him over our relationships. We love everyone. We pray for everyone. We're kind with everyone. We can relate to everyone, but I just don't have to let every influence close into my life. Amen? All right. So how can we evaluate people? How can we figure out, is this a good person to allow close in my life? If we need those close relationships, how do we know? I want to give us a couple things that can help us in this process of figuring out, is this the right person to allow close in my life? Here's, here's a couple things. Don't evaluate on the external, even when they seem spiritual. 
right? Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders seemed spiritual, but Jesus called them hypocrites. He called them uh, 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 empty tombs. He called them dry bones. He knew <laughs> a brood of vipers. So you just need to know that everyone that seems spiritual isn't a godly influence in your life. So don't evaluate on the external. Don't evaluate on the, on the intentions. Well, they're a good person. Well, they meant well. No, we're not going to evaluate on those things. I'm going to evaluate on faithfulness. Are they faithful? Are they planted in a, in a church? Are they faithful or do they hop around? They can't be there. Do they actually show up every week? Are they faithful? Do they do what they said they would do? Bible says a righteous person swears to their own hurt. So do they do it? Uh, evaluate on faithfulness. Evaluate on how well they can submit to authority. Or are they talking about everybody behind their back? Well, they are, you know. When they say, when a leader says something nice to them, or you know, is building them up, hey, everybody loves that. But then, what about when they get corrected? Well, who are they to talk to me like that? Or can they stay stay submitted to authority even when they need to be corrected? Right? Evaluate on that. Right? Evaluate on generosity. Evaluate on selflessness, on willingness to serve others. Right? Because we're looking for godly friendships, godly people who are going to strengthen our life. And listen, rely on the discernment of the Holy Spirit because He speaks to you what He hears from the Father. So if you're praying, God, who are the friends that you have for me? Who do you want to be close in my life? Guess what? He's going to tell you through the Holy Spirit. So allow Him to allow discernment to come in. And it's like sometimes you're like, something doesn't seem right. I don't know what it is, but something doesn't, something seems off right here. That's discernment. That's the Holy Spirit being like, hey, hey, something ain't right. So rely on the Holy Spirit. Here's the next kind of relationship I want to talk about. Friendship. Here's another one. Dating. I told you we are getting PG-13 today. Did you know you are made for the love of God, but you are also made for the love of another person? It's good. It's good. So if you single in the house, what's up? Where are my single people at? Come on. Let me hear you a little bit better than that. Single people, where are you at? All right. That's a good place. If you are single, you can get some digits, some numbers, get you a lunch date. God's, listen, God has a plan for our lives. And, you know, if you're single, that doesn't mean God didn't design you to be alone and struggle through life. God has someone for you. And his plan is that, man, you would be strengthened by others, that you would have loving relationships in your life and that you would have someone in this life to be with, right? When he created Adam and Eve, what did he say? He said, it is not good for man to be alone. That means it's good for us to be together. That's God's design and purpose for us. So I hope you find hope in that today. If you're single today, maybe you've been trying to find the right person. Is But it's not God's plan that we would go about it in the way the world goes about finding that person. Because if we do, it will only produce the emptiness the world has. Right? Sadly, too often we see people in the church, they start dating and they start emulating the things they've seen in movies and TV and heard in songs and all these kinds of things, right? And, and, and I just believe it's time for parents and the church, so I'm talking to myself as a church leader, right? It's time for the church and for parents to begin to rise up and teach this next generation what a godly relationship is and how to operate in them. Right? Because right now we have a generation growing up that isn't learning that. They're learning from everything else because parents in the church have backed off the gas. We've backed off and we haven't been willing to get in there and have a discussion and deal with the disagreement because we don't want someone to be mad at us. 
It's time for us to begin to teach this generation what it means to live a godly life through a relationship. And I believe we're, we're starting this today. We're beginning in this process, putting Jesus over our relationship. So I have a couple things that I want to give us, a couple uh, about dating and relationships. And if you, if you are dating, write these down. If you're married, write these down because someday you might have kids and you might need to teach it to them and you can teach it to them. Uh, you don't have to give me the cred, just, you know, whatever you need. So a couple things dating, right? When you're dating, don't date every person who's available or who asks. Because you are more valuable than just being available. God has more for you than just that person. You're just, oh, well, they they asked me, so I might as well. No, listen, before you say yes, right, ask the Lord, God, is this someone you would have me date? Right? Because dating, right, is meant is for what else than to lead towards marriage. So don't just throw yourself at every person that comes by. Like, you are more valuable than that. Um, let me say this. <laughs> when we're dating, uh, we need to recognize that we are not contestants on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. It's crazy to me that television show, they're on, I mean, we all know it, that they're on season like 568 or something <laughs> crazy like that. But it is crazy to me how people in the church love that show and can't stop talking about it and all this stuff. It's crazy to me. So what we have now is a generation growing up learning that this is how relationships are meant to be. And so what happens, they, they bring these people into this room, this bachelor, this bachelorette into this room of people. And now that we're teaching people, it's okay to lust. And, ooh, you look good. And you're hot. I would do you. And this one looks good. All right, so what are we doing? We're teaching a generation how to live in adultery. Right? What did Jesus say? He said, hey, if you, even if you look at another person with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So now we have a generation of people rising up, learning to live in adultery, that this is okay. Hey, who's your celebrity crush? And who, don't you think they're hot? And like, listen, that's not the way we were designed to live. And then it goes a step further. So then... They start seeing all these people on these shows, and now I'm with this person, and, and we did this together, and kissy, kissy, kissy face, and, and now I'm tired of you, and you don't make me happy anymore, so let me jump to this person, and oh, you're not the one, but we, you know, now let me jump to this person, thank you, next, and I can go over here and be with this person, and now what are we doing? We're teaching a generation to practice for divorce, and it's no wonder people are growing up and are disillusioned with marriage, and let's redefine it, and let's call it something else, because everything that I've seen doesn't work. It's time for us as a church to get back to the truth that hasn't changed. And didn't, didn't Paul say, don't even let the sexual immorality and all that stuff that's done in the world even be mentioned among the believers. And not mentioned in the sense of, we better not talk about sex in church. No, mentioned in the fact that like, it shouldn't be commonplace. It shouldn't be a way of living among believers. That's what he's talking about. Listen, we've got to teach this generation about godly sex and how God designed sex, that sex is designed for the marriage bed, right? Like that's what he designed it for, right? So here it brings me to my next point. You don't, when you're dating, you don't need sex to survive. 
I told y'all we're going to get a little spicy today. It's okay. It's good for us. We don't need sex to survive, but the world wants to convince us that we need it like we need breath and air and water and food, but it's just not a necessity. Yes, it brings a level of enjoyment to a relationship, but it's not a necessity. It's not. It's just a deception that the enemy wants to buy us into, right? And we see people doing it. We see, you know, how cohabitation and all this stuff and, and just being with whatever partner and doing whatever any time is like, it's just commonplace now. And what do you mean? You haven't slept with him yet? You've been on two dates and all these things. Like, and, and it's laughed at and it's made a joke of, but this is the reality of what's being taught to this generation, right? And now, so what's happening is that now people are trying to fill this need artificially because, uh, because more times than not, their desires have outpaced their spiritual growth. So then desire grows unchecked, and then we have people lowering their standards, being with this, being involved in that, lowering, you know, now it's okay for me to look at this. It's just soft porn. It's not full porn, right? So now I've lowered my standards a little bit. I'm not guarding my eyes as much. And then we end up trapped and and burdened and and worn down, and, and I thought sin had no hold on me, but then you've lived in a life of sin, and you haven't lived in the freedom that Christ has for us, right? So we've got to, what do we got to do instead? We've got to invest now in the future that we want. So if we want to have a godly marriage someday, we need to invest now while we're dating or getting ready to date so that one day we can have a godly marriage. It's the same way if you want to retire with $10 million in the bank and you don't have that $10 million today, what do you need to do? You need to invest some money. You need to invest it today because <laughs> it's going to take some time for that money you have today to turn into $10 million. So we invest today for the retirement that we want. But why is it so hard then for us to take that same thinking to our spiritual life? If I want to have a godly family, kids that serve God, I can't just run around and be with whoever. And then one day when it gets down to the pressure moment, God, will you bail me out? No, I need to invest today for the relationship, for the future that I want, right? So there's a story I heard of this uh, girl. She was going to college for the first time, and she, she got around uh, the wrong crowd, started partying, started doing all these things. She'd been raised in church, and then one day while she's in class, this really cute guy comes and sits next to her, and she gets, starts getting all nervous. You know, her boy starts talking like she's a little excited, and this guy's coming, talking to her about, you know, what God is doing and all these things in her life, and she doesn't hear half of what he says because she's so excited. She's waiting for him to ask her out. And then class begins and then they, you know, go their separate ways. And she runs home and starts, calls her mom, starts telling her mom about this cute guy that was talking to her and he's probably going to ask her out. And she says, honey, I got to stop you right there. He wasn't going to ask you out. He was witnessing to you. He was sharing the love of Christ with you, right? We've got to begin to, what if we begin to stop looking for the right person and begin becoming the right person? Sometimes when we get so infatuated, I got to find the right person. If I find the right person, then I can be happy. Where are they? I've tried. Look, let's stop trying to find the right person and start becoming the right person. This is good for any kind of relationship right here. It doesn't matter if it's friendship or dating or marriage. We've got to become the right person. So here's the question. Are you the person you're looking for is looking for? So in marriage, are you the spouse you are expecting your spouse to be? 
We've got to allow some change to happen in us, some growth to begin to happen. We can't wait for our spouse to change. We can't wait for other people to change. All we can control is right here, is me. All I can change is me, right? But here's what I know is that when, you know, if, if, if this is an illustration, God is up here and I'm over here. The more, the more that I move towards God, the more that I draw towards God, then the person that God has designed for me, they're over here. And then they're going to be coming more like God and they're drawing more towards God. Then there will become a point where we're both drawing close to God, right? And there's this, there's this point where our lives and our paths cross as we draw closer to God. If I focus on becoming the person I want to have and a spouse, then God will bring the right person at the right moment, and our lives will path, and it will produce something good. I believe this is good for us today. Amen. Are you all receiving it today? So here's another thing in, in dating in any relationships is we need accountability in the church. We need to get accountability with somebody in the church, a godly leader. Uh, there's a, uh, a, we, a, a godly leader, not a mentor position. There's a kind of a deception that slipped in. Well, I have a mentor. Well, we need a godly mentor, and his name is God, our Father, right? And he's put people in the church for the purpose of building us up, right? That's what godly leadership does is it strengthens our faith. It builds us up. So we need these right relationships to provide accountability in our lives. Here's the third relationship type I want to talk about today, and that's marriage. So we talked about friendship. We talked about dating. We talked about, we're talking about marriage. And I have to say, um, I believe marriage is defined by God this way. One man, one woman, together for life. So government can say whatever they want. Popular opinion can say whatever they want. But you can't undo what God has already said. So I just believe marriage is defined that way because that's how God defined it. Right? So marriage is awesome. Marriage is great. Um, Heather and I, my wife, we just celebrated our 16th anniversary this last week, and it was awesome. Um, you know, when I married Heather, I married way up and out of my league. She's awesome. I love her so much, and I'm so thankful for her. But um, marriage is not, does not fix all the problems. It does not fix problems in a dating relationships. It does not fix all of our personal problems. In fact, marriage provides opportunities for more problems to rise to the surface. <laughs> it's like how a person can be addicted to pornography before they get married, right? Because, uh, and then they get married and they have sex and it doesn't solve the pornography problem. And, and just, so, just so we're clear, uh, you know, 55 to 70% of men, studies show, are addicted to pornography. 40% of women are addicted. And uh, same study shows in marriage, a man who's married and views pornography, the divorce rate doubles among those men. Uh, among women who are married and view pornography, the divorce rate triples. So you can't tell me, oh, it's just something that we want. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a destructive thing that we've got to get a hold of. Right? We've got to begin to have some accountability to deal with things. How can people go through their whole lives struggling with silent sins and addiction while they never got accountable and open to someone who was a godly leader in their life? We just wanted to cover everything up. That's not grace. That's sloppy grace. Grace confronts things heads on with truth and with love and provides a way to change. Okay. 
So marriage is, uh, you know, like the same thing when people say, well, we're going to have a kid. We're having problems. So we have the kid and it's going to solve all of our problems. And I just start laughing because it's just it, the, having the kid doesn't solve the problems. It's just going to provide more opportunities, right? So we've just got to understand it's not a solving all of our problems, right? And I would say this, relationships die when the focus shifts off of the main thing. Relationships die when our focus shifts off of the main thing. So in a marriage, it will die when the focus shifts off of our focus being on God and what he's called us to do. Relationships will die when the focus shifts off of serving one another, right? Because the the, the biblical definition of a husband and a wife is to serve one another and mutually submit to one another the same way that Christ loved and gave himself for us. What did he do? I came to not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. So in a marriage relationship, my role is not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. So the relationship is going to die if the focus shifts off of that, if the focus ever shifts off of us pursuing God together. And the same is true with churches. They die when their focus shifts off of the main thing. That's why every, <laughs> we're always lifting up the name of Jesus because he is the main thing. Amen. So we have, to, we have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to grow. We have to realize in a marriage that the job of the other person is not to satisfy my needs. There's only one place that my needs can be met and satisfied, and that's in the love of my heavenly Father. So a marriage is not to satisfy my needs. It's to serve one another. Here's the last thing on marriage is that where choices lead, feelings will follow. So we can't be people that are led by our feelings. We have to be people that are led by our choices. So people come and they say, well, we fell out of love or we just don't love each other anymore or whatever. No, you just chose to stop serving one another because you know, love is a feeling that sounds good in a song and in a movie and whatever else. Love is a choice. Love is a choice that chooses to give itself, to give its life for the other person. That's love. Greater love is no man than he that lays down his life for his friends. We've got to connect the dots. Love is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. So even in our communication, even in our, our, our conflict, because my goal in, even in an argument is not to get my way. My goal in the argument then shifts to how can I serve her? How can I build her up with what I'm about to say, right? But that, that's not an excuse to just, I, I'm not ignoring things. I'm not just, uh, we're talking about the hard things. We're talking about how we feel. We're not pretending like those don't exist, right? We have to talk about those things, but we just don't do it the way the world does. So shouting, yelling, cursing, dredging up the past, silent treatment, you know, all those things are off the table. Why? Because we're putting Jesus over our relationships. He's the main thing. Now we're seeking him, and so he's the center of our marriage. So I'm not doing it the way the world does it. I'm here to serve. I'm here to give my life so we can talk about hard things we can do those things and still choose to love still choose to forgive still choose to put Jesus at the center so what are we doing we're putting Jesus over everything 
we're getting the understanding. We're not here to be served. We're here to serve. We're here to give our lives for others. We're here not to see what I can get fulfilled out of my needs and relationships, but I'm here to meet the needs of somebody else. So what are we doing? We're putting Jesus over everything. Why don't we just right where we are, just bow our heads in prayer today. I believe that God is here and moving in this place. Lord, I thank you that you are moving today. God, I thank you that you are doing something new in us. So Holy Spirit, speak to us in these moments. I thank you, Lord God, that you are changing things in us. So maybe you're here today and you find yourself maybe in one of those different places on whether it's friendships or dating or, or marriage, wherever you find yourself, there's it's never a place where like, well, I guess that's it. I guess that's the end of the road. The good news is that God is a loving heavenly father who always has a way to bring us back to him. Scripture says if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So regardless of where you find yourself and whatever relationship status you found yourself in, whatever it is that you found yourself addicted to, or I, I never wanted to be in this place, wherever you find yourself, the good news is, is that today is your day. This is your moment to take that step of faith to say, God, I need you in my life. God, I'm, I'm Jesus, I'm putting you over my relationships. I'm putting you over some things in my life. And if that's you today, you're saying, I need to make that decision. I need to put Jesus over my relationships. Or maybe it's another area of my life. I need to put Jesus over over some things in my life. Would you just lift your hands right where you are today? I want to pray with you today. You're saying, that's me. Thank you over there and over there. Hands all over the room today. Thank you back over there. I see it. You can put those down. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this place, that you make all things new. <laughs> you make all things new. You are the restorer. You restore us back to that place of innocence that we were once in before. So God, I thank you so much. Even right now, I thank you restoring innocence in thinking and in looking. Lord God, those that where we've lowered, uh, where we've looked at, the things, the images that we've seen. God, I thank you that you are restoring innocence to us again today. You are restoring relationships that have been broken, where there's been a divide there. Maybe it seems like this thing will never be healed. It's, it, it's irreconcilable. Lord, I thank you that even in this moment, you are mending those broken places, Lord God, as we put you over our relationship.